This is First Nature, Episode 3 on the Rising Man Podcast with me, Sean Berry. The Medicine Wheel, an ancient tool for modern living. Hello to you, Rising Man family. Sean Berry here on this Episode 3 of First Nature. Thrilled to be here, sharing my passion, love, and curiosity about nature and this planet. So stoked that you tuned in. I've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast, The Medicine Wheel, and I've noticed that both times, I think the first episode, I tapped on it a little bit. The second episode, I when I listened to it back, I realized I had mentioned we were going to talk about it, and then I didn't. So today, number three, we are going to talk about The Medicine Wheel pretty much exclusively, because it's a really important tool and uh, reference for this whole channel, this whole podcast, and, and Nature Connection. It's a great tool that came from our indigenous people here on this land and all over North America. And there's wheels everywhere. So we'll drop into that. But first, let me just remind you that if you're interested in getting out on the land and living for a few days, like your ancestors, like all of our ancestors, check out Elements. It's a program that Rising Man puts on. We're doing it four times a year, each season. You can check it out at risingman.org initiations menu item and then just go down to elements. This one coming up in June. It's June 25th to 27th. It's our summer elements. We're doing it on the Lost Coast up in Mendocino County, California. It's just a real beautiful wild space with open coastline and rugged inland interior and uh, just a great opportunity to get a sense of what it was like to be walking across the landscape the way your ancestors did, the way all of our ancestors did. So Jetty and I are super excited to get out there with a group of men just to explore or not only the landscape, but just the lifestyle. What was it like to be a coastal indigenous people, you know, and to be looking to the sea for our food? What can we get with uh, surf fishing and looking for mussels and maybe harvesting other things that are edible from the ocean and, and that also grow along the coastline? We're also super excited to have a special guest instructor, Brady Bradshaw, who is a record-holding freediver here in the States. And if you're not sure what that is, freediving is basically diving as deep as you can on one breath. So no scuba tanks, no apparatus. It's just basically your lungs and usually they give you a, a nice fin. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's incredibly challenging activity. But Brady's really knocking it out there. He's a relatively new to the scene. He's only been doing it for a few years. But we're really excited to have him come out and just work with us in the water, in the ocean, learning some breathing techniques, learning how to navigate ocean water, and also just, you know, culminating water work within ourselves. What does it look like a man to just be using the elements of water to find healing and growth? So it's going to be a special time out there on the coast this June. And again, go check it out on the risingman.org website if you're interested in signing up. So with that... We are going to drop on into our topic today, which is the medicine wheel, and specifically talking about what is it, how does it work, or how does it function, and how it might offer some guidance to living out your life. We'll also get into the history of it, the wheel we'll be talking about, sort of where did it come from, its lineage, and all the different little layers and elements that make the medicine wheel what it is. So just before we drop into that, I wanted to ask you guys a question. When's the last time you got outside of nature? Was it today, yesterday, last week? Has it been a month? Has it been longer? I mean, we're outside of nature all day. If you go from your house out to your car or go from your car into a building, there's that moment where you're outside, of course. But what I'm really talking about is like, have you intentionally put yourself, your mind, your body, your soul with consciousness out onto the landscape and just started noticing what's around? You know, we use our five senses for that. That's the main senses we talk about here because they're such powerful senses. It's, they are the five primary senses and how we experience anything outside of our self, right? Including our body, right? When we say self, we're really just kind of talking about this conscious awareness of we know that we exist as an individual. Our bodies are this other entity that's moving out there amongst all the other physical things. 
the five senses are really powerful. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of doing a little reading up on just how the five senses work. And I got really fascinated by the sense of touch. And I just wanted to share a few really interesting details about the sense of touch. For instance, did you know that touch is the first sense to develop in humans and maybe the last one to fade towards old age? Right? Really powerful. And there's approximately 5 million touch receptors in our skin, which is a lot, right? There's 3,000 just in a single fingertip. So touch is like really important. It's such a huge way that we experience the world and the sensitivity we have in a fingertip. It's also interesting too that a touch of any kind from another living being can actually reduce the heart rate and lower blood pressure like in the moment. Touch actually stimulates the release of endorphins. Did you know that? I did not know that. Which are, you know, endorphins are the body's natural painkillers, which is why a mother's hug for a child's skinned knee can literally make it feel better, right? Pretty cool. The human finger can discriminate between surface patterns with ridges as small as 13 nanometers in amplitude. That's nanometers. A nanometer is one thousandth of a micrometer. And a micrometer is one thousandth of a millimeter, or roughly 0.00004 inches. That's four zeros to the right of the decimal with a four at the end, right? That's incredibly tiny. I mean, nanotechnology is like, you know, getting down to the atomic level. On a smooth surface, humans can actually feel large molecules and single-celled organisms, believe it or not. Now, the crazy thing is viruses like coronavirus or any other virus can be 20 to 30 or 20 to 300 nanometers, which is well within the realm of our touch. So you literally could perceive a world well beyond what the naked eye can discern just with your touch, right? So in theory, with the right training and the right sort of practice of sensitivity, you could actually detect viruses or germs or any other kind of nanometer type object, which is mind-blowing to think how sensitive our touch is. So imagine all the information we're getting from our sense of touch. You know, when we feel the breeze, you know, on the back of our arm or on our hand, what we're literally feeling is molecules hitting our hand. That is the wind. Wind is made up of moving molecules. That's it. So even just realizing that at that level, you know, how much we can actually feel. So the receptors for touch are deep inside our skin, actually. And tests show that fingerprints not only help to convey signals to our nerves, but also filter out all the unimportant background vibrations. Basically, everything above and below 250 hertz, which is basically like white noise in a tactile sense, vibrational interference. Our, our fingerprints, the ridges on there, basically act like vibrational baffles to minimize unnecessary information. So instead of the brain taking in everything and trying to make sense of all the tangled sensations, our bodies may actually have like this built-in filter and amplifier through our fingerprints to give it only what it really needs to be dealing with in that moment. So pretty cool stuff. So if you do get outside, which I always encourage everyone to do, just get out for even just a 10-minute walk somewhere, it might be really intriguing and fun and interesting to just experiment with how sensitive our touch is, Right. You know, think of it this way, when you, on a hot day, if you're underneath a shade tree and it feels cool and then you step out into the sun, you know, what are you actually feeling? What makes you feel hot or the heat? You're actually feeling photons hit you. Photons are subatomic particles. That's incredible. But enough talk about that stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about other senses more and find out some more fun facts in future episodes. But right now, I just want to go ahead and get into the meat of our topic today, which is the medicine wheel. It's also called the four directions or the directional wheel. It can be called a lot of things, but just for the accuracy of how I came to know it and the way a lot of people refer to it, we'll just stick with the medicine wheel. If we were to draw one out, basically you would just be looking at a circle on a piece of paper with a crosshair through it, right? So a line straight up and down and a line straight across, across the circle, dividing it into four equal parts. And that's basically it. It's a very simple diagram. Typically each quadrant will have a color associated with it. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. But first, what I want to tap into is also where did this wheel come from and who uses this wheel? 
I'll just put a little disclaimer out there. I am not a scholar on such things. I'm speaking mostly from my personal experience. So I'm really just relating to you how it came into my life and what I've heard, read, or directly experienced. What I can tell you is that the wheel that I came to know has its roots in the Lakota medicine wheel. The one that I have followed and looked at is not the Lakota wheel. You'll find that if you look at a lot of the wheels from the tribes here in North America that use them, they don't all look the same as far as the color assignments and the different attributes or animals that would be symbolically used to represent certain attributes of human experience. And that's because this form of spiritual practice and, you know, interpersonal and personal navigation was drawn from the land itself. So the landscape that these people lived in is what informed what these wheels would look like as far as how they're symbolically populated to refer to their attributes. It's also worthwhile to talk a little bit about the difference between appropriate and appropriate. I've spoke to this a little bit in a previous podcast, but it bears uh, reminding again that um, you know my intention in looking at this wheel and talking about this wheel and talking about this you know ancient spiritual technology is to bring honor and reverence and respect and gratitude to the peoples who developed that spiritual technology and, and what's appropriate. You know, I feel like it's appropriate if I'm going to be living in a place that is ancestrally not my home, it's important to acknowledge that people here have made tools already to link themselves spiritually to the landscape, to give themselves guidance to understanding who they were becoming on the land that was providing them the sustenance for, you know, generations and generations and generations. And what I feel is, you know, inappropriate would be to bring some kind of teaching from a different place, from a different land and and try to insert it onto this land here or wherever I was traveling to, you know, Uh, there's that great little cliche phrase about, you know, when in Rome, And I feel very strongly about that too. When I'm in a different landscape, I really want to understand the basic spiritual tools that came from that land and try to follow them and honor them and find my guidance and understanding from them based on the land. I mean, that's what these, uh, you know, original tribal peoples did all over the world in their location. That's why the wheels look different wherever you go, because it's based on reflection from the land. And you have to imagine what it was like, you know, going back far enough You know, there's definitely periods of the emerging human where there was no indication of any kind of, you know, there's no artifacts of art or beauty or symbology. It's just, you know, sticks and stones. And there definitely was a time when we didn't have the self-awareness and sense of consciousness that we have today, right? That was not something that just kind of came with the the first iteration of human way back in the family tree. That's something that evolved out of us over time. And I don't know how long it took between that first sideways thought that who knows what that was like for the first humans to start having some kind of sense of awareness of distinction about themselves, that they're an individual and that they could perceive a distinction between themselves and others, and themselves, and the land. Whereas prior to that moment, there was no distinction. Much like most animals, there is no you know ego or higher self or consciousness that's able to partition the difference between yourself and other things. So it's fascinating to me to think about what was that process? How did we contend with becoming conscious beings? And how wonderful and amazing it is that's those earliest peoples had the the sense of desire and need to connect this, you know, what could be somewhat of a disconnecting experience back to the land to try to understand how our spiritual self-awareness being that was arising within us could be reflected in the landscape that had been providing and giving us our sustenance and we've been living on for generations and generations and generations and generations and more and more generations, like hundreds of generations. So these early, early technologies of spirituality rooted in land-based practices, referring to nature as a mirror. So again, wherever you go in the world, those tools are those uh, symbolic references that you find on these early spiritual models are going to look different because the land there was different. 
And while I don't live in my ancestral homeland of Europe, I feel like it'd be inappropriate to bring those teachings or whatever connection I had to those spiritual practices from my people and try to force them or wedge them into the landscape here. I mean, I have them, I honor them, I hold them, but I'm very aware of the fact that I'm living in a different land that has a different orientation to the human that lived here. And they did all the hard work. They sat down and figured out how to reconnect this individuating sense of self and spirituality back to the land in the place that they lived. So that's what I really want to bring my time and attention to is honoring those first tools and realizing that the wisdom and the knowledge of this land is inside these early spiritual tools that are directly connected to that land. I feel it would be inappropriate to bring teachings and you know to try to force other spiritual practices that are identified to a different landscape into this landscape or to wherever I find myself. And yes, I have my connection to my heritage and to the spirituality and practices that came from those lands too. But while I'm living away from those lands, I feel the most appropriate thing to do is to investigate and participate and to follow and honor these teachings, these ancient, ancient teachings that are systemically tied to the landscape that I find myself living on. So, and that way I'm grateful again for those early peoples here, for the teachings they discovered, for all the work it took to just, you know, identify all these parts of ourselves that are coming out in our consciousness with back to the land, with the species and the plants and the animals and the energies and to putting it all into this beautiful thing called the medicine wheel, which basically is pointing in the four directions right? So it's, it's a map. It's a way to, at any time, at any given moment, you know, the first step of the medicine wheels, when you look at it is just orient yourself to where you are on the land and bring our attention back to the fact that we are a, a creature, a, a being living on the face of a planet and that there's a reference point for that and it's right where you're standing. You know, one way to look at it is that the medicine wheel is a, is a translator, right? So that we can understand the earth speaking to us in one of the many dialects, quote unquote, environments in which earth speaks through, right? So if you're living, you know, as a, a Bedouin people's nomadic in the desert, you know, the tools that translate earth's communication from that environment is going to look and sound much different than a tribal people who are living equatorially in the jungle, right? So these, uh, these again, these ancient spiritual tools that were first developed are just invaluable for understanding what, what does the earth have to say to me? And how can I orient myself harmoniously with the earth and myself together to be in a place? And everything else is on top of that. My job, my relationships, the food I eat, uh, the places I go, the things I'm up to, all that sits on top of, is my relationship with earth right? And if it's not, uh, I take it straight to the medicine wheel because it begins with that first premise of like, where are you on the land? Get oriented. So a little more historical context in my history with the medicine wheel as we keep moving forward. As I said earlier, the wheel that I was introduced to and still follow today was based on the Lakota wheel. And one of the seminal books that brought that wheel to light for many people and organizations who do rites of passage work, which uh, rites of passage on the wilderness, anyways, wilderness rites of passage work, which leans heavily on the practices that were developed by the first peoples here too for initiation, came through a book called Seven Arrows by Hymios Storm. He worked directly with a man named Stephen Foster, I'll correct myself. I believe what I've been told and what I've heard and what I've read is that he and Stephen Foster spent some time together. Stephen Foster is the one and his wife, Meredith Little. They started School of Lost Borders out in uh, Lone Pine in the Death Valley area, which was one of the first organizations that started bringing traditional wilderness rites of passage back to the North Americas based on how the rites of passages were held in many of the First Nations of the Americas. When I did my first rite of passage at age 30, I came through an organization called Condor Clan down in Ventura, started by Kent Pierce and Farian Pierce. Kent and Farian had both gone to School of Lost Borders to get training on how to do that work. And then once I had my initiation, I became very fascinated and passionate with that work and trained with them to guide and have been guiding with them for 
25 years, as well as some other folks that I get to work with now and again, including Rising Man. All these organizations use the medicine wheel as the, the primary tool. And personally, it's been hands down the most powerful, useful, and aligning tool that I've used in my life to stay connected to myself, the people around me, and also to the planets and looking for, you know, it's, it's a great model for how to harmonize and synthesize all those attributes for upright living. Still, even today, thousands and thousands and thousands of years after that technology was developed. So it's really relevant. So let's look at the basic structure here. If you were looking at the medicine wheel diagrammed on a piece of paper, it would have that X through it, as we talked about, a line going straight up and down and a line going horizontally across. And basically, those are orienting to the four directions, right? So up is north, down is south, left is west, and right is east, right? So those are the cardinal directions, and each one of those directions have multiple significance and layers that are associated with different attributes and kind of paradigms of how we experience ourselves living life. Typically, you can you don't have to draw a diagram. What a lot of people like to do is just get four different stones, right? And as I said earlier, each direction also has a color association. And many of the wheels have very similar colors. The color association that is on the wheel that I have been following looks something like this. Uh, white is north, yellow is east, red is south, and black is west. So four cardinal directions, four colors. And you'll see as we start building up the different layers here, the, the synchronistic nature of the attributes on each direction and also the complementary and contrast attributes they have with each other. So if you think about the colors, those correlate also with times of day. So east is yellow, representative of the sunrise, which is also morning time. South is red, correlating with the noonday heat, red hot, time of day in the summer, so noon is south. The west time is dark black, right? So after the sun sets, it gets dark. It's the, you know, nighttime, it's the evening. And then white is in the north, and that's representative of the, of the full moon, right? So midnight, when the full moon's out and fully up above us, that is indicating midnight. So four times, sunrise in the east, midday in the south, sunset in the west, and midnight in the north. Also, each direction is representative of a season. So as you kind of see this in your mind's eye, you might start to make some correlations on your own. But if we think of springtime, that would go in the east, right? With the sunrise and the newness, the, the new day, right? Sunrises in the east. Springtime is the newness of the year. In the south, we have summer. So again, midday, heat of the sun, summertime. You know, it's when everything's really just going to work. And then in the west is fall, Right, so sun going down, it starts to get dark earlier, correlates with the west, and then in the north we have winter. So midnight, you know, it's again, it's the full moon makes us think of snow, the whitest snow, and we just keep building up the the complexity of metaphor from there. So next round is times of life. So we've done time of day time of year with the seasons, and now times of life. And again, overlapping all these layers and looking for the synchronicities of how we might, might map the stages of human life onto this wheel. So if you think about birth, right, that would go in the east along with spring and sunrise. And then moving around, by the way, the circle moves clockwise. If you haven't picked that up yet, we're moving clockwise around the circle. Same way the sun moves around the northern hemisphere. So going into the south, we have childhood, right? The next stage of a distinct time of life for the human. It's summertime. It's the color's blood red. You know, we're really just engaged with our mortal self and figuring out what we can do with our bodies and just being totally consumed with who we are as children. And then that time ends and we come into our adolescence, into the West, Right. That sort of indicates the time where we're, we lose the sense of our childhood. We're getting into what it feels like to be an adult. We have a lot of questions coming up for ourselves about what's true. You know, adolescence is typically a, the teens and a troubled time, but it can definitely extend well into the college age and beyond. 
Yeah, so the West and the sun going down and general darkness, shorter days, and that general gloominess that kind of inhabits the adolescent experience as we uh, have to start contending with the fact that we're becoming adults. And then moving on to the North, um, that is adults, right? That is the stage of life as adults, and sometimes called elder, but representative of a fully responsible, capable, and able human being who's making contributions to the people around them and taking care of themselves as well. So significant, again, with the North, getting into that stage of we recognize our limits. We recognize what we can do, what we can't do. We've learned who we are and what we're about and what we're interested in. So we get very versed in our self-knowledge of who we've become and what we're able to do. And that's the adult in the North. Okay, so we've basically established all the timelines. And now we're kind of moving into a layer that's a little more theoretical, a little more heady, a little more you know lodged in the human consciousness. And that is states of human awareness or states of being, right? And the four uh, keywords for that are spirit, soul, mind, and body. Let's put those on the wheel. So there's a lot of different ways to do this when it comes to soul and spirits. A lot of people have different definitions for those. But in this wheel, we put spirit in the East. And if you think about... You know, when, when a child's born, there's a spirit about the community, right? Everyone gets engaged and involved. It really draws people together when a baby's born. And that would be, you know, East, right? Beginnings. And the idea of spirit, that there's a great spirit amongst the people. So we put spirit in the East. Moving around to the South, we put body in the South. Because again, it's um, summertime. We're in our bodies. We're active. It's, it's the idea of childhood who are just fully in their bodies, Swinging around to the West, we put soul in the West. And the main reason for that is typically we refer to ourselves as having an individual soul, right? So the soul is like this singular you know, concept about something beyond our mortal selves. And that goes in the West because usually it's something we have to come to grips with. We have to, you know, the, there's uh, some of the ideas out there about the, you know, the dark night of the soul and this idea that we have to contend with the truth of who we are and only we can fully know the depths of what that means for us as an individual. And that goes uh, well along with the, you know, the idea of the sun setting and the fall and the West energy. Finishing up again in the North is mind. And we put mind up there because it really is the adults, the elder, who has the, the full faculties to discern and distinguish what is important, what's necessary, who has the wherewithal to make the hard decisions and to account for all the data and do the complex thinking and, and who have done the hard work of reconciling themselves to who they are, right? To understanding who they are and, and being able to be responsible and you know upright enough to make decisions on behalf of the betterment of the people and to refrain from making selfish decisions just for themselves, right? It's a difficult task. It's something a lot of us don't do very well about how to think of others first and to make the best decisions for everyone. It's a very sophisticated mental process. So lots of pondering, lots of stillness. You think about the the full moon and the midnight time and just the quietness of mind that we have at that time. And the north and just how quiet like a snowy evening can be when it's completely still. So again, just kind of alluding to that state of mind that we best make decisions from. Okay, a couple more rounds here. I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you guys, but in future episodes, we'll definitely be breaking this down more and again, but this will be a great uh, reference podcast to go back and listen to if you want to pick up some additional pieces that don't quite make it across through the first listen. Moving forward, each direction also has an element. So the four elements, earth, wind, air, fire. And again, we're looking for the, you know, how the synchronicities link up as we keep building up these layers. So also, if I didn't mention this, we always start in the East, right? East is where birth happens. It's where beginnings happen. So the wheel tends to start in the East when we look at it to kind of begin the cycle of determining where we are on the wheel. Some people like to start in the South because that's where action of life happens, And we'll talk more about that later. But in general, we start in the east and we go clockwise. So elements, east, morning, spirit, death, rebirth, right? It's springtime. It's fire. That's where just the the genesis of life and transformational power comes from is just that heat and flame. 
right? And that, that there's nothing to a flame. It's just a chemical reaction. There's no substance to a flame, but it, it creates so much from it. So we put fire in the east. South is the earth, element of earth. And again, that's because we're in our bodies. You know, our bodies are made from the earth, from the things we eat. We're in our bodies as youth. We're contending and working with physical things. You know, we haven't really got the sophistication of our mind yet to sort of grapple with concepts. We're just dealing with the physical matter in front of us. So earth is in the south. In the west, we have water. And in a lot of dream work and mythology, water's often referred to as, you know, the subconscious and sort of, you know, being lost at sea and this idea of not really knowing where we're at or who we are or what will become of us. And this very fluid sense of dynamic sense of self that isn't quite solidified or clarified yet. So water in the West and then North is air. And that's just reflecting the essence of the North energy where it's all about the simple thing. It's, it's distilling down all the complexities and sophistications of life down to the most basic essence of presence. And again, thinking of you know elders and those who are older and have begun the process of getting rid of their things, downsizing. It's all about the basics. No unnecessary items or unnecessary thoughts or unnecessary breaths. It's a mastery of purposefulness. Next, we have the cardinal gifts of each direction. Illumination, trust, introspection, and wisdom. So we put illumination in the east, again, because, you know, sunrise, new day, vision, potential, creativity. It's all about what can we do? What's possible? What's the bright mind have to say about what can be done? Going into the South, the attribute is trust, right? So think again about just being a child and how much trust we have as children. If we're raised in a, you know, a healthy environment, children are very trusting. And just the notion of trust, you know, trust comes from dependability. Trust comes from reliability. You know, we build the things based on physical sciences that tell us through experience and the math behind them that things will work every time. And uh, that gives us a lot of trust in them. Think about the cars we drive and the planes we fly and the phones we use and how much we trust all these physical objects to do what they were designed and tested out to do. So trust in the South. In the West, it's all about introspection, going inwards, using our gift of consciousness and awareness and sense of self to do self-examination, to monitor ourselves, to understand better who we are and how we're functioning in the world around us. Right? It's a huge gift to go into that space and have self-compassion and self-love and self-discipline and all these attributes of humanity that are relatively new you know, compared to, say, the ancient human who didn't have that sense of you know, self to even have introspection with. So it's also the place where we make distinctions about who we are and who we are not, what we believe and what we won't believe or choose not to believe, right? It's the decision-making process for the self. And then in the North, we have wisdom. So wisdom, again, think about the time it takes to accumulate good wisdom and you know, needing to be around on the earth long enough to assimilate your experience and to understand your experience and to intake information and data and convert it into useful activity and productivity and efficiency and everything that goes with, right? So the wisdom that comes out of time and that comes out of discipline, that comes out of making mistakes and repeating mistakes and learning from your mistakes and taking different actions everything we accumulate on our human journey that we can then turn around and share with those who are coming up you know, behind us to offer what we have discovered for ourselves and in turn offer that as support and help along their way in the same way that we have all been helped along our way and supported. It's how we've gotten to where we are. Now, as I said earlier, you know, these medicine wheels are very closely aligned to nature. So for sure, we talked about the cardinal directions and we're going to come back into now some of the natural connections that show up on this wheel. And on this wheel, we have four animals. There's the hawk, the mouse, the bear, and the buffalo. So we put the hawk in the east because it's got that vision, right? The, the eyesight of raptors and birds in general are incredible, but especially raptors, they have phenomenal vision. And that's an attribute of the east of you know, how to have that vision, how to have that big view how to be you know, soaring through the air and knowing that you can go any direction. It's all potential. And the hawk is a good representation of that energy. 
In the South, we had the mouse. And if you think about what mice do best, they have their bellies on the ground. They're scurrying about. They're collecting things. They're storing for later. They're very much representative of that physical world that we live in and how mice seem to be busybodies, right? So if you think about mice, they're always scurrying about or you know they have lots of babies at the same time. It's just they're a great example of just the general busyness of being in the physical world. In the West, we have the bear. And if you think about the bear, you know, the bear goes into hibernation, which is very, very similar to the concept of introspection, dark night of the soul, going through adolescence, going into that, to that place of where we, we retreat from the world. We take rest. We need to take respites and get away from it all and uh, get some space and clarity to better understand and process our experience. So the bear is a, a great animal for the West. And then in, in the North, we have the buffalo. And the buffalo, you know, to the Plains people, to the Plains Indians, the buffalo was, this, you know, was the animal. It gave everything away. That is to say, when they harvested buffalo off the land, nothing got thrown out, right? They used the sinew for bow making and rope. They made clothes and teepees out of the skin. They rendered the fats for other, you know, technologies they were developing. And they, of course, ate all the meats. The bones could be made into tools and weapons. I mean, everything from the buffalo got used. And in that same way, you know, when you're an elder and when you're older, you know, the truth is you, you can't, wherever we go after this life, we can't take anything from this world with us, you know? So a, a really healthy elder gives it all away in the same way that the buffalo does. And then finally, there's just a few catchphrases. This wheel that came from Condor Clan that in a few words just reminds us of the overall general qualities and attributes of that direction. So for the East, it's you act with unflinching precision, right? So if you think about, again, a, a raptor, a hawk who has that big worldview vision, amazing eyesight, they can see for miles when they're high up, but yet they can identify that one little rodent or mammal down on the ground and they can beeline dive straight towards it and pick it off. You know, unflinching precision. You have a vision, you go for it. In the South, the phrase is, you scurry about collecting things. That's generally what we do most of our lives, right? We're all so busy, especially in this culture. You know, we got jobs that demand a lot. We got families. We're trying to buy houses. We're knee deep in a technological revolution where we're constantly referring to our devices to figure out what we're doing. You know, international travel, airplanes, schedules. It's just, there's so much going on in the modern world. So... The mouse is a great, great representative of that busyness that we find ourselves in dealing with the physicality of being alive on a planet as a human. In the West, the phrase is, you question and ponder. So again, yeah, we can all get overwhelmed and be forced into that place where we retreat and just need to take some time and take some space. Sometimes if we're living in a, a pretty good, healthy state of mind, we will actually take that time for ourselves. We'll, we'll preemptively make that space to stave off getting overwhelmed or overstressed. And we also realize that we make some of our best decisions when we've had time and space to really think them over and think them through and have conversations with the people we need to have conversations with and to find that quiet space in our heart and mind that really can inform us what our best decisions are to make about our life circumstances. So the bears are great representative of that with the uh, that inward hibernative quality. And then in the North, the phrase is, you give all the way. And again, like we said, with the buffalo, there's that sense of, you know, abundance. I don't really get too much into abundance language, but in general, I have more than I need all the time. I'm never concerned about my next meal. I'm never concerned with having gas in the tank. You know, I pretty much get to do what I want, when I want, without really thinking too much about this, my, my basic needs. So that sense that in any given moment, we always, you know, we always have something we can give to others, even if it's just our time or our listening. So the buffalo is just a great reminder of that service that we can be for each other. So lots of information there, pretty dense, packed in. Hopefully you'll get to absorb a little a bit of that. And now we're just going to talk about like, okay, so how does this function? We got all this information. We got all this ideology and concepts and this idea of the layers and representations and the synchronicities. So how does it work? Okay. Well, first thing is 
as I said, we go around the wheel. The wheel's active. It's, it's not a static thing that just lays there. You know, when we look at the wheel, we're actually looking in that clockwise cycle. And there's a dynamicness to understanding the attributes that it's pointing to in relation to how they're showing up in our lives on a day-to-day basis. So in that sense, you can go around the wheel in an hour, right? And if you think about certain specific things you do throughout the day, you can actually map some of those attributes energetically over the course of an hour. You can go through the wheel, around the wheel in a day, right? Literally, there's sunrise, midday, sunset, midnight. You can go through the wheel in a season, right? So it's projecting your life scope over the course of an entire year, spring, summer, winter, fall. And then, of course, there's the scope of a lifetime, birth, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and then coming back around again because, you know, we never, we don't stop. This circle always goes around. So after adulthood, we come back around to East, which is really like a gateway from death and rebirth. Also, the nature of the wheel is, it's like a fractal. It's, it's uh, you know, one way to think about it is that in the same way that those lines that indicate the four directions are not hard, straight lines, the wheel itself is not a hard, hard-lined wheel. There's wheels within the wheel. So each direction has its own little north, south, east, west around that direction. And sub-qualities of each direction show up in every direction because we're never just one thing. We're never just one thing. So it's just an important little piece to put in the back of your mind that when we're talking about any one direction, we recognize and understand that that is the primary energy that may be showing up in a situation or circumstance in our life, but it's not the only energy and that all energies are there as we go around the wheel in each other. So everyone has a home on the wheel, all right? And if you think of it this way, the wheel we draw out is a circle with the, the four directions. That's like the ideal wheel, perfectly round, right? Your wheel is not round. My wheel is not round. But our goal in life with the medicine wheel is to true our wheel. So for example, if I was to actually draw the diagram of me, my interior world, as a medicine wheel, it would be pretty oblong. It would look like a teardrop and it'd be the teardrop would be sideways and the bottom of the teardrop, the bigger part would be totally pointing left to the west, right? And it wouldn't go up very high to the north. It would go pretty tightly over to a point to the east. And then maybe it'd have a bigger bulge along the bottom towards the south, right? So it'd be a pretty wonky looking circle. It wouldn't even be a circle. It'd be something of like a misshapen kidney bean. And that's because in general, my orientation to life is sort of West goggles, right? Whenever I think about my life and think about the world around me and how life is occurring to me, it just kind of comes to that introspective, soulful, general thinking. That's just how I came out of the womb, right? So in my mind, it's like life is challenging. Life is hard. Life's a little scary. Life feels short and life feels like it's very fragile and about to end at any time in this day and age, right? Very fall, westy kind of thinking. I like to sit and think things through a lot. I ponder and sit all the time. I'm very much in my head thinking things through. And again, those are all sort of West qualities. So it doesn't mean that I don't have any North or any East or any South. I do. And again, that's going back to sort of the wheel within the wheel. But in general, my wheel kind of hovers in the West and all the energies are a little bit bound to that Western energy. And my work in life is to figure out how do I grow, stretch and expand into those other directions to become a more whole, balanced person. So yeah, the only truly round wheel is the one we can draw out as a diagram and observe with our eyes. Everyone's personal wheel is round only to the lens of ourself that we look out upon the world with. You know, and just like people, no two lenses are the same. So someone's personal wheel may seem quite round to their own perception, while to someone else, it might seem quite lopsided. And the inverse is also true. Someone can actually feel like they're, you know, really out of whack on their wheel, but to their friends and loved ones around them, they could actually point out that, hey, your wheel is maybe a little rounder than it feels. So it's only really through the power of community that we are able to help each other round our personal lives, to true them. You can think of it kind of like the the little ball bearings inside of a, a bearing, right? So if those little ball bearings are representative of the people in our community and and ourselves in that community, you know, the more round we can help each other become, 
then the smoother, more stable, and more efficient our greater community is able to rotate on its own axis of spin the same way that a bearing helps like an axle spin smoothly. Now, there's also unhealthy wheels, right? And an unhealthy wheel is a wheel that is not spinning. So, for instance, we can become stagnant in one direction. We can kind of get stuck in a direction. A lot of times it, it can be our home direction that we like to spend a lot of time in. Right? And if we're not conscious of needing to keep the wheel moving in our lives and, and move those other directions and, and do that work to expand them and increase them, we can get kind of focus locked and stuck in our home direction or in any other direction, depending on what's happening in our lives. So the cool thing is the medicine to being stuck in a direction to get the wheel within us moving again lies directly across the wheel from the direction we're stuck in. So for example... If I get stuck in the West too long, which happens sometimes, I can actually get depressed and I can fall into that really small world view and lose sight of who I am and the gifts I have to offer. And what I need to do is find that East energy. I need to get to the other side of the wheel and find that inspiration and that new vision and, you know, reminding myself of the potential and of, of all the things that I can make of my life and to get that fire again, to see that new sunrise of a new day of doing things differently transformation. But here's the thing, I can't just go cut across the wheel energetically, right? I mean, I can, but that's not going to be a healthy choice because what that looks like is an escape. I just don't want to be feeling how I'm feeling now. So I'm trying to escape it. I want to do something, just break the pattern. I'm going to go, you know, jump on a plane to Hawaii, or I'm going to just go buy something to preoccupy my time with some new thing, or, you know, I'm just going to try to get out of my situation by creating something new in my life in some way or another, the very East energy, the newness, right? But the truth of the matter is, if I just take that shortcut across the wheel, I'm just going to end up back in the West because I'm going to get that thing. I'm going to you know, create that new thing. And then I've got to deal with it in the South because now it's a real thing and it's physical in my life because I'm doing something different with that thing, and whether it's an activity or an object. And basically the luster and shine is going to wear off and I'm going to be right back where I started in the West, stuck again. So this is true on every direction of the wheel. You have to go around. Well, if you want to be healthy, <laughs> you go around. You don't go across, right? So I know it's the East energy I need, but what I'm needing to do right now is I need to get out of my self-wallowing or my self-preoccupation. You know, I won't say wallowing, that's a judgment. But I'm preoccupied with myself in the West and that small sort of you know, desperate, dark thinking. And what I really need to do is go be of service. I need to find a way to show up for somebody else, you know, make myself available to, to get that gumption up and, or to be called out by my friends who see that I'm getting stuck in there and, and who know that the way out of the West is to enroll somebody in service, right? F remember that there's other people out there who have things that you can offer them. And when we realize in the North that we, again, have that ability to give, to be of service, to go above and beyond, to demonstrate our capacity to be functional and you know, elevate other people's lives with our action, naturally that's going to lead to a reassertion of who we are. And then the East becomes available to us. We've, we've gotten out of the small thinking. We've gotten out of the hibernation. We've gone through the North and made an assertion of our adult self in some way of service. And now it's, okay, what next? I'm here. I'm, I'm out of the hole. East energy. What could I do now? What am I going to create? What, what's inspiring about what I just did in that act of service that's going to move me forward? So that's just one example of how we kind of move around the wheel. When we identify things where we're weak or getting stuck, you know, the roadmap is clear energetically. We can look at these signs and symbols on the wheel and know what to do. Really helpful. So another way to think about the wheel as a tool in our life is to think about it as where are we on the perimeter, right? Are we on the perimeter of the wheel? Are we in the center of the wheel? What's the relationship there? So as we kind of start coming into the awareness of ourself and life through adolescence and become aware of the energies of the medicine wheel, it might seem like the, the wheel is just whipping us around, right? We don't really have a lot of control. We're just we're getting pulled around the outside of the wheel and we're hanging out for dear life and we're just experiencing life through these dimensions of the wheel. But as we gather experience through life and continue to grow and develop ourselves, 
we begin to migrate towards the center of the wheel. That's a lifelong journey. So not only are we wanting to true our wheels, our personal wheels, and get them nice and round, but we also want to be centered within them. We learn to bring the balancing energy to circumstances that are, quote, out of the round in our lives. And learning how to round that wheel is healing work and a gift. So to do that healing work and to access that gift, it also requires us to oscillate in waves of ascension and descension on the wheel. And if you take the wheel, so if you drew the wheel, you know, on a flat piece of paper, and then you picked it up and looked at it edgewise, it's like the wheel is an equatorial plane of an invisible sphere. So I don't want to get too complex in getting into that, but if you can just imagine that not only are we going around the wheel, but we also go through these periods of ascending in the direction and descending in the direction energetically again. So sometimes we go to the underworlds, the inner work, the shadow work below the surface, right? We take the plunge and we're experiencing the directions on that more obscure inner side. And we make some realizations and some things connect about ourselves. And then we come out of that more inner personal world. It's similar to West energy, but in a sense, there's always internal work going, whether it's in the North, East, South, or West, there's always some kind of internal work going on in the energy direction. So when we've got that transformation or that learning, then we want to surface it. We want to ascend above the directions and use that wisdom that we found for ourselves to bring light and gifts to the people, to our people. So the wheel is a sphere. You know, it's kind of like uh, if you think about those old toy tops that you used to have to kind of pump, right? So there's that little shaft in the middle and you'd have to sort of like push it down and pull it up, push it down, pull it up, kind of pump it to get it spinning, right? So that's similar to the ascension, descension work. Up, down, up, down. We get our wheel moving. We're trying to true it and get it more round so it spins in a balance, right? And once it gets spinning, well, then we get to rest, right? We don't have to pump the handle anymore. We actually just kind of get to sit back and enjoy the moving picture of our life as it spins around. But our personal work that we do in that ascension and descension and around the wheel, well, that's a fuel source for life. And if you rest long enough and the fuel runs low, the spin of the top starts to wobble, starts beginning to wobble, starts becoming, you know, trending towards stopping to becoming stagnant. So what does that mean? Well, it's just time to descend into the work, that personal work again, and ascend again with that new fuel, new gifts to steady out the spin again and achieve one more state of stillness and rest. So just like everything else in the universe, it's on a cycle. Everything vibrates, everything has a wavelength, and this is no difference. We have times of hard work and times of rest. The wheel goes around. You'll notice that there's complementary attributes going across the wheel. So sometimes you're in the, the, the bliss of the East and all potential, and sometimes you're in the, the hard, you know, the, uh, the limitations of the West, where there's only one choice to make. And neither is good or bad. It's just, again, it's just the, uh, the, uh, the oscillation of all of life. So one more example of just how the wheel kind of works in a practical sense. And looking out the window, I don't, I don't know how it is for you guys where you're at, but summer's getting really close. It's getting warmer. Everything's in full bloom. A lot of the, the wild flowers have already started to disappear. All the, but the trees are getting their full leaves. It's warming up quite a bit. So uh, again, thinking about the summer, you know, south, childhood. Uh, so how do we use those attributes to reflect on where we're at in life and what it means about going forward? How do we align with these qualities? So think about the body, right? Summer is a great time to do self-care. In general, that's when we take vacations. It's when we, we, maybe we take an extra course for fun. We maybe clean up our diet, start working out. We get outside more, more movements. We take on healthy pursuits with regimens, eating habits get better. Summer is a time of outdoor projects. And the healthier, more vital and well we are, the better able we are to get the tasks done we set for ourselves. While the weather is good, the light is long, and the supplies are flush. So south, right? Setting foundations, gathering supplies, experience, knowledge, the building up of things, your body, your projects, your experiences. You know, late spring kind of like right now, is when the animal world 
births this young. We're really fortunate to have deer and wild turkey coming through this property here all the time. And just in the last two weeks, we've seen baby fawns with spots on them still and little broods of like six or seven, I don't know what they call baby turkeys, chicks. They're literally like little chicks following their parents around. It's just really magical. And that's because summer is the ideal time to give new things that require a lot of attention and care the best chance of taking hold. So even in nature, it's just natural that you know, mating happens in the springtime. It's not that a lot of animals, mammals for sure, couldn't procreate at other times of the year. It's just that it doesn't make much sense to have offspring late in the fall, just before the cold of winter sets in and there's no food sources, right? Your babies aren't going to have a great chance. So there's just that uh, natural flow of how the seasons work and how the rest of life works that can really indicate to us how we should be working too to be always working on rounding out that wheel. Stagnating isn't always some dark, numbed out place of pain. You know, for instance, stagnating in the South can be a self-indulgent, self-important blast of creative manic bliss that you simply just don't want to stop doing because it's so fun or so engaging or so creative. But the problem with that is, you know, the rest of your life goes ignored. The balance goes ignored. The awarenesses of the other three directions go unnoticed and their bandwidth gets really narrow. So in this case, getting st stuck in the south, remember the medicine is across the wheel. So you got to head north, but you know, you just can't skirt up to the north and do an act of service like a dogmatic penance as an apology. So you can return to your, you know, quote unquote, endless summer. In this case, the voice of the west is always there. It's always whispering, right? The west is in the south too. There's no just hard demarcation lines. Every energy is just that in those four quadrants we speak to, there's a main energy. So in this case, you know, deep down inside us, you know, we always know when we are transgressing ourselves or others, there's that quiet voice. We pretend not to hear it, right? And that's really just, that's the voice, the whispering of the oncoming direction, right? The direction that we're supposed to be traveling into, but we're just staying stuck. It's, that's the whispering voice of the direction calling you forward. And when we finally do acknowledge that whispering voice, that's us taking one more step towards the center of the wheel. That's us finding more balance, more centeredness, more groundedness, able to do the ascension, descension work as we go around, as we travel the wheel. All right, let's wrap it up for today. That's a lot of information, a lot to go over. One thing I just want to remind you all of, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, is don't worry too much about it. Don't worry too much about it. I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it all day. But the truth of the matter is, you know, the peoples who discovered and developed these first, you know, first world spiritualities connected to the land. You know, they didn't have any books. They didn't have any classes. They weren't listening to podcasts. You know, their languages were relatively, you know, simple compared to some of the complex concepts of language and communication we have today. You know, it's not rocket science. And the main thing I want you to leave with today is, is just to let this idea resonate in your heart, to know that there is a cycle that's happening in nature and this planet that's also happening in us. And really it's just bringing our attention to that cycle and learning to track it. And the more you can track it, I believe just from my own experience, the more centered and grounded and just in harmony I feel with who I'm becoming and harmony with what I have to offer the world and harmony with the world, harmony with the planet. So um, just take that in and know that it's really that simple. It's just four directions. So, Try to get outside this week, this month. It's summer, folks. It's really about to happen. And uh, there's so many beautiful places to visit uh, on our land, wherever we are. So I really just invite you to take some time, look up some trails, go online and find out where the parks are, or you know, plan a trip. What's your nearest national park? And what if you found some time to go there? So there's so much to see about this planet. At the end of the day, that's really what I just, I just want everyone just to get outside and connect. Use your five senses, right? Touch things, see things, listen to things, smell things. You can even taste a lot of the stuff out there. A lot of it's edible. Learn more about who you are inside by getting outside. All right, friends, Whew, that was a download. That was a download. I hope you make your way through it. And again, we'll definitely break this down more and talk about the synchronicities and on smaller scale and, and just the, the really fascinating way that this can show up in our lives every day. 
So for all things Rising Man, make sure you head over to risingman.org. Again, plenty to check out there. Don't forget Elements, June 25th to 27th out on the Mendocino Coast. Risingman.org, go to the Initiations tab and click on Elements. Also, subscribe to the podcast on the podcast app of your choice. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know we say this all the time, folks, but if you are getting something from the podcast here on Rising Man, other people might get something from it too. And when you like or subscribe, it just bumps the numbers and it just gets in people's streams more often and it gets them to it. So please do that if you can. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Anywhere you can, if you're supportive of us, um, those kind of things really help. So super major props again to the Rising Man power team. That's Sean, Mark, Julian, Rowan, Ryan, and Kyle. Again, man, you guys are killing it. Thank you so much for your help in getting this podcast out. And I'm Sean Barry. We'll see you next time here on First Nature on the Rising Man podcast. Podcast.